Welcome to Tipping Points, the podcast that reveals moments in people's lives that change everything. My name is Luke Edelston, and each week I interview fascinating people with extraordinary stories to find their tipping points. Well, today I'm very excited to be interviewing Angel Rebo, also known as the CEO Confidant. He's a influencer, LinkedIn strategist, international TV host, public speaker, CEO consultant, board member, and philanthropist. In the last 21 years, Angel has helped more than 1,500 CEOs in 33 different countries to accelerate the growth of their businesses. Angel sits on the board of the Evolutionary Business Council, an organization with more than 350 transformational leaders with a combined reach of over 600 million people. Angel was born near Barcelona and has lived in eight countries and speaks five languages, which is very impressive. Angel is now based in Texas. In 2017, he launched his international foundation, Wisdom for Kids, and has helped more than 1,000 underprivileged kids in Latin America become entrepreneurs using local resources. I love his energy, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Welcome to the show, Angel. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me, Luke. No, no worries. Great to have you. And uh, we had a bit of a talk before this, and uh, you got some really interesting stories, of course. And um, one thing that sort of I wanted to start with was when you were you were on a fish farm, and you got you had an interesting uh, job on the fish farm. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it was when when I was a you know when I was a kid, I I my father used to be the the CEO of a group of, you know, um, companies, you know, all food related companies for the food industry. And um, I used to go with my dad every single time that he would go to one of the, of the, of the manufacturing plants, in this case was a fish farm. And uh, as I was really, really good in, in coding and in school while I was in high school, and when I was also in, uh, in, uh, in middle school, because, you know, my dad bought as a, an Apple C computer apple 2c computer so uh the first computer that actually they 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 bought in that farm and we're talking about the 80s was an apple 2e in order to to carry the inventory and many other things the funny thing is that actually my first job ever was to make the programs using the basic uh you know language programming language to carry the or to 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 be able that the, the inventory of the fish farm was was under control and and then you know little by little I, I I I spend more and more and more part of my summer making this you know making the program work better and better and better, and that was really my first coding you know assignment ever, and I was making money out of it. So that was a really very nice assignment and very nice you know, summer job. Yeah, and you've uh, you've been all over the world, as it says in your bio, and you've been doing lots of really interesting things as well. And uh, you were mentioning to me how you'd actually come to the UK. You'd been in in Scarborough at one point and how that that was quite a sort of transformational time for you in just being free and independent and everything. Yes, uh, actually, it was the second time that I was separated from my mom and dad. It was the beginning of the 80s and my uh, mom and dad decided to send uh, me and my sister to Scarborough to a, to a summer school to learn English. And it was a really, really important moment for me because uh, 
as I said, it was the second time ever that I was separated from my mom and dad for a long time. And that was good. It was a good experience. Uh, I was living with a family. They had three kids, a girl and two boys. I was sharing the room with a Swedish guy that was there doing the same thing. So he was there for a few for a few days only. He didn't stay the whole stay, uh, my, my whole stay. And uh, I was, I, I really made the, the, you know, when I got to that, to, to Scarborough, and again, my sister was there and also my cousin was there. I, I, I really said, I said to myself, I really want to make a, this a big experience for me and I really want to learn English. And when I get there, I mean, my English was pretty poor. I mean, uh, I, was, I had a certain vocabulary, but, uh, but I, I really made it a purpose for me to be as much time as possible with people speaking in English around me and to really limit the time it was going to be around people speaking in Spanish. So literally, we were like, what, 30 people from, this, from the same area in Catalonia, in Spain, in the north of Spain, that went to Scarborough the same summer. But I was definitely the one that spent the least time with the rest of the Spanish community. And I was all the time with other people, mostly with Nordic you know, boys and girls, Nordic people that went to Scarborough to learn English. And it was really, I mean, many different things happened to my life that, that had never happened before. But one of them was I went from having to translate everything when I was speaking in English into being able to speak English without thinking about it, without having to translate it. Yeah, and I've heard that there's a transitional point where you... You, you sort of you think mostly in in Spanish, and then you know you start to transition, and then you you can think in English as well, which to me sounds really alien because I can basically speak English and a bit of a few other languages, but not much. And um, uh, so I think that was interesting as well that you you limited yourself to the people you knew that to learn English you would need to speak it more often, and therefore you, you sort of went right. I'm just going to spend time. With, with English people, English speakers anyway. Uh, I think that was quite a smart move, really. Yeah, and, and again, you, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you, I mean, I was already able to speak French, um, but on, on a very basic level. So it's funny how I, I was learning at the same time French and English, but suddenly just going and having an immersion of a month in the UK allowed me to go from really still translating to just thinking in the language and it's yeah it, that that really represents a big i mean when you if for, for whoever is listening to us today you know i think that that, that that obviously that would resonate with them because we typically are translating and translating and translating but when you are able to just click and go and then it's natural then you just it's a matter of how much language how many how much of a rich vocabulary do you have that's the thing that's the question nothing else yeah and you mentioned the word immersion as well. I have to completely agree with that. Um, immersion is the way to learn pretty much everything in a more uh, focused way. Uh, you know, you hear about people like Michael Jordan who are doing, you know, or, or used to do like was it like a thousand shots per day? You don't get good at something unless you've got the repetitions. I, I agree, and also Tony Robbins also also speaks to to immersion and to massive action. I think that's important. And, and again, it's forcing yourself to be outside the comfort zone. When the only option is to speak English, when the only option is to speak English, the only option is to speak English, you speak English. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Definitely. So easy. Yeah, I, I was thinking about Tony Robbins and I thought I won't say him because uh, a lot of my friends know me quite well for uh, saying Tony Robbins this, Tony Robbins that because I've been to a few of his seminars. But <laughs> yeah, he, he talks a lot of sense, that's for sure. And uh, you mentioned in the previously to me that you used to be shy and uh, it's hard to believe since you're such uh, you know, a confident public speaker and everything now. Um, mm -hmm. I don't want to preempt the answer here. It, what would you say has made you sort of come out of your shell? Were there any points in your life where it just sort of flipped over and you became way more confident? Yeah, I think that this it was when I went to college. And again, I was still pretty shy when I went to college. But throughout college, I started to be more, let's say, I started to have to have more exposure. I started to, I mean, I, I, I wanted to be part of an international students association and I, I, I signed up for it. And the very, the very first year that I could sign up for it, actually I got, uh, I got a scholarship with them. So I could go and spend a summer uh, in a foreign country learning additional skills for my computer engineering degree. So that really excited me. And I think that being part of the organization and eventually I became the president of that organization. So I was able to help a lot of students, probably over 200 students in total. I helped or we helped from that organization in, in our college, in the School of Engineering, to be able to go abroad and, and enjoy internships and broaden their spectrum, their professional career since or while being in college. And I think that, again, it's moving myself out of my comfort zone and being part of and being the leader of an organization. Uh, and I wasn't the leader by myself, I was the leader with someone else. So, and I think that we gained that credibility and we gained that, you know, um, uh, yeah, be, being when you have to force yourself to represent something or someone, then you have to do that the best thing, the best way you can. And again, the other the only option was, I mean, we were there. We wanted to help as many students as possible. We wanted to tell them, hey, if you want to go abroad, that's what that's the path you should follow. We will recommend you to do that path. And that's why and we have done that before already. And, and that those are the benefits for the for the different students that have done that before. Uh, so I think that, yeah, that that was the point in which I went from being unknown and, and, and being afraid of going out there to start speaking in public and to start being someone that people would know. Yeah, yeah, Angel, Angel, Angel Reba, you know, the guy in charge of uh, this international association here in the in, in, here in, uh, in our campus. That was that was definitely the point. That, that was definitely the moment. And uh, look, yeah. So you were getting more exposure to more people, having a sort of purpose and things like that, um, and having, you know, having to deliver on, on what you say you do. Meaning, you went out and you did it, which was kind of what gave you a lot of confidence from getting the results as well. Yes, exactly. Fantastic. Exactly. And. Uh, so I don't know if that's before or after, because uh, the word college is sometimes uh, different in different places. So college for me means after high school. So when I'm 16, I would go to college in the UK. So I don't know uh, if that's different for you. Um, but you've mentioned that you you did. A, it is different. Oh, OK. Yeah. Um, you did a computer engineering degree to start with. And I guess that was partly because you'd found that you were good at it you know, when you were working on a fish farm and everything. Um, and so you thought, let's continue with this because I'm good at it. Um, 
tell me how you got into that and, and how that sort of panned out with your degree. Yes, I was when I was in yeah. So college here in the U.S. is is university is is after eighteen when you go and you start you know studying for a degree for a master's degree or a or a bachelor's degree right that's that's how college is called here, um or that's the concept of college here. But that, that I was referring to that point in time. I was referring okay. to eighteen years old, nineteen years old. Yeah. So um, I I decided to go for computer engineering. Because it was good. I mean, it was good in, in, in school, so I would have good grades. And when when it was in, in, in high school, uh, we had computers, and it was really good in high school with my, with the computers. It was really really good, and I really enjoyed it. We had this actually. It was I think it was a British brand, Acorn computers, and uh, or Acorn computers. And we and actually it was really good. And we used these cassette tapes in order to record the the programs and everything. I really enjoyed it. So I said, okay, so why not? And actually, I applied in Spain. Uh, at that time, you you could apply to up to three different degrees, and then you would choose. They would choose you, or you would choose which one you wanted to go, depending on your grades. My marks were really good, so I could go to my first choice, which was, which was uh, computer engineering. My, actually, my, my second choice was vet, vet, veterinary, veter, becoming a veterinarian. Oh. And um, so I, mean, I don't know what I would have done if, if, if I had chosen the second way. But anyway, regardless is that as soon as I started my studies with computer engineering, I realized that, I mean, there was a, um, I realized that that was not really for me. I mean, the degree, the depth in which, well, let me rephrase, not the depth, but Everything else that comes around the computer engineering degree, besides liking to, you know, program, was beyond what I really liked. Beyond what I really liked. So, uh, very early on, I figured out that uh, that was really not for me. I ended up, you know, having the degree, getting the degree, right? But I remember that it took to me. I mean, initially, you go through like a lot of, you know, numerical analysis and math and algebra and lots of many different theory things and and it was more like a practical guy and i remember you know it's like it took to me a few years until the subjects became more interesting for me throughout my career and then again so i in the beginning i i i was deceived and it was kind of you know lagging and oh my god i don't like this i don't like this i have to do it i have to do it but until i reached like the, the last two years in Spain, we had five-year degrees. The last two years, that I, I kind of re-engaged, liking, really liking the the um, the subjects that I was taking, and the more the more professional they were, the more practical and professional they were, the more I liked them. So that was that that was good. But but the thing is, when I finished my degree, I never really worked as a as a computer engineer ever. I think that while I was a, stu- a student, I got some part-time jobs, but I never got a full-time job as a computer engineer, ever. Like, ever. Ever. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that resonates with my experience of university as well, because I, was, um, I wasn't really enjoying my physics degree either. I went into it because I was good at it, um, but... Again, as I got into the details of it, you know, at school or um, before you're at college or university, 
it's kind of, it seems a bit more practical or applicable to normal real life and as you get deeper down the rabbit hole of studying that thing it can end up being too much in the detail and not that interesting or it doesn't seem that you know applicable to the real life and, and for me as well is as i got went through and had more of the electives where you could choose what you wanted to work on i found that far more interesting um yeah and so it's interesting you had a similar experience i, I guess a lot of people do and I didn't go into a physics-related job afterwards either. Sometimes you have to go through that time to then realize, I don't want to do that. Um, and I suppose that's the same with any job and any experience, isn't it? And uh, I know you've had a, a lot of different jobs and roles and, and everything like that as well. Um, and so you, at one point, you got to, you got to London. Uh, maybe you could tell us how you got to London and what happened there. Yes, yeah, so it was in 19, the late 90s. I don't remember the exact date, but it was the late 90s that uh, I was looking for an international work position, job, and I was still in Barcelona. And I saw that job in, uh, I saw that job in, uh, in, in, in a national newspaper, and they were they were conducting some interviews in Madrid. So I reached out to them, and they told me, yes, we're going to pay you the ticket to go to Madrid for the interview. We like your, your we like your background. And it was a sales role in south uh, west of London, in a place called uh, Fleet. I'm sure that everybody in the UK will know where Fleet is. I think it's down the M4, I think. Okay. And uh, uh, and yeah, and, and so I, I, I really got the job. I have to say, I've always been really, really good in, in, in job interviews, always. Very, very good. Uh, and yeah, that, that was my the starting point. It was a high-tech company, so I mean, my knowledge about computers was going to be useful but really not that much it was really my performance was always based on sales results sales as anybody any other account manager so that was good and i, I really had a blast i mean we my, my our team was a great group of people from many different countries and all of us were calling you know we're making inside sales calls and getting appointments for field reps in different countries in europe it was really good it was an american company though but based in an area where there were a lot of um, multinational american companies based also it was really a very nice time i really enjoyed it i lived in different different you know villages around that area but it was really a good time i think that if i was to go back to that place i would still remember the restaurants where i would where we would go and yeah i mean it was it was really a fun a fun time it was my starting the starting point of my sales career it was really good i mean, I, I really liked it i really enjoyed it i really had great results and Everybody, I mean, it was it was a high, highly spirited team, and it was a really a very nice experience. Yeah, you've uh, mentioned that you're very good at interviews, and also you've hinted at the fact you're good at sales by getting good results. Of course, uh, I'd be interested to to know what you think makes you or people in general good at uh, interviews or or sales. I mean, whichever is I guess more interesting to you. Yeah, uh, so that's a great question. So, what made me a good job interviewee? That's a great question. I have to say, I've never, I've never thought about this. Probably number one because I was able to really understand what the questions that were being asked to me really meant. So I was really to the point, and I was really able to elaborate practical experiences that were related to the concern that was behind the question from the interviewer. 
Okay, that's the that's probably would say the first one. The second one, I think that I'm pretty a pretty empathetic guy. So uh, being an empath means that you are able to connect with people in front of you, and I think I'm able to do that. When I was honestly, when I was still in in middle school, I think it was, I started reading about nonverbal communication, and I think that that allowed me to see many more many many more things in the in the other person, the person that is interviewing me. So that would allow me to actually be better and be more proactive on my responses. I really think so. Yeah. Uh, and also, what else? I mean, at that time, I was talking about the 80s, my first interviews, right, job interviews. I was also going deep into studying about what that company was about and what they really were looking for. I don't know. I think that I've always done a good job putting myself on the boots of the other person that is in front of me. And I think also... To your question, it also applies to my career in in sales. I think that's that's something that you really need to do on how to do it. To go to sales and uh, you know to go while you are on a sales call to be able to put yourself on the boots of the other person. A sales a sales process is or a sales call is not about you; it's about the other person, and I think that's important. That's true. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, you need to understand the customer and listen yep. and build a relationship, which is really important. So at the beginning of these kind of relationship building, uh, when you first meet people, are there any things, and this is probably hard for you to recognize now potentially because you're so unconsciously competent at it, were there any things that you used to work at, let's say, to make people feel comfortable and and build a good relationship with people. Have you got any tips on that for people? Um, I, I'm not sure if I was making people feel comfortable, you know, on purpose. And let me tell you, I mean, I mean, still today when I go to networking events, I'm, I'm not the one that is all over the place and talking to everybody. I mean, I still feel like I can feel the people and I am very picky about who I approach. And again, this is something that it can be nurtured. And let me tell you an example. Um, I'm always looking for unconventional knowledge and unconventional experience, things which are not mainstream. And one of my teachers, one of my main teachers in my life, honestly, probably he doesn't know, he doesn't even know, is a guy called Frederick Dodson. I really believe on what he does. He's a, he's an, he calls himself the reality, reality creation coach, but he's a very, very, very smart guy. And he sees reality from, from a completely different point of view to what the rest of the people looks at, okay? I'm making you this introduction because I went to one of his retreats in, 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 uh, in Hawaii a few years ago. And he made us, he made us do many different uh, exercises and practices throughout that, that uh, retreat. And one of the exercises that made us do was we would close our eyes and the rest of the attendees would hide a piece of paper with our name, someone in the room. And and uh, we, we would have to find that paper with our name. And there were people that would consistently find the paper with their name, regardless of where we would hide it. And there were others like me that it would take more time to find that paper. You would mm. eventually find it. But So what I'm trying to say is that and that's part of my mission. I think that we are all divine and unstoppable 
forces, honestly, divine and unstoppable forces. We have all those skills and abilities that we don't know of and we are not aware, uh, uh, we're not aware of. And it's just a matter of someone pointing them out to us and then nurture them, practice them. You know, really try to do it. So I have not do it, I have not done it after after that retreat, but sometimes I think about it. And if I think about it, it means that I have to do it. One of these days I'm going to deliberately going to start by myself to have someone in my family hide a paper somewhere and time time how much time it takes to me to find that paper. Honestly, I think that this is just one of the many one of the many blessings that we have as human beings that we just we just forgot and we never we never cultivate and that's and that's just one and I, all this to tell you that when you know when we go when we go when when we know what the environment that we are going to be working at is like when we know how it's going to be like beforehand we can rehearse it literally we can rehearse that we can rehearse what we're going to do and we can literally start trying to implement a few, a few things in order to become better in doing them. And one of them is trying to understand the other person who's talking to us. The other one is trying to, according to the way that person dresses, the way that person looks at. Let me tell you another example. The other day I was meeting with a, with a client of mine and um, as soon as that, that person, that lady sat next in front of me because we were having a meeting. We met, we met on a bakery, on a coffee shop. Uh, she spent literally the first 60 seconds explaining a lot of things that had happened in her life without looking at my eyes for 60 seconds. So we even greeted each other. We met, you know, we, we physically met in front of uh, each other, but she never looked at my eyes. Right. So so is it possible to meet and greet someone without looking at that person's eyes? It is because it happened, <laughs> right? And, and, and I, I love that client, I mean, tremendously. I, I really love her and, and I'm helping her a lot. But um, that's telling me about how she feels, how she is, but how, how, she, was she, how she was feeling when she, went, when she met with me at that point in time. And obviously there's a lot of different explanations, right? I mean... Maybe, I don't know, she, she, was feeling, she was feeling anxiety or she was feeling a little bit uncomfortable of being with me in front of me after having been, been not seen physically but only through Zoom for a long time. I don't know, there's a lot of different explanations. But what I'm trying to say is the most important things in the relationship and connection with someone in our lives, we miss it. We continuously miss it because it's not obvious. It's not obvious because we go so fast and we are so distracted by so many things that we don't take the time to see it and to reflect upon it. And that's the most important piece of advice I would like to give everybody. Most of the things that we should learn and signs that we receive, if you believe that you receive signs from someone and from somewhere, we, not, we don't see them because we don't pay attention because we go too fast, way too fast yeah uh, i think there's an element of the the physical world being <clears throat> more immediately in front of you and we're not really 
we're, we're continuously distracted by all sorts of things like your phone, you know, everything going off, uh, all your businesses, you know, your work, all your emails. It can be very easy to be just completely lost in all of that. And it's, it's a practice, isn't it, to actually pay attention, look at how people are and, and try and move along with that. And there's a word that I've noticed is common in what you've used a few times, which is divine, um, <clears throat> which sort of leads us to divine human ventures, I think. But also I want to yeah. try and think about what divine means means to you, because it uh, can mean different things to different people, I think. Yeah, exactly. When I was creating my own business, although my brand was the CEO Confident, it's funny because I picked as a name for my organization, Divine Human Ventures. And also the, the process itself was really funny because I tried to book another name, but they couldn't book it. And I really wanted to book it. So I reached out to the person that had it, but never responded. So, but anyway, divine is a, I mean, I, I think that we are divine or spiritual beings having a physical experience. That's what I, that's what I believe, right? So whatever it is that created all this that is around us, all those different things that are just energy vibrating at different levels. I think that they are, were all, when they are all, you know, they have their origin in the divine. And divine for me is that this, you know, abstract term that refers to this force that creates everything, that maintains everything in balance. I really believe that there's balance in the world and there's balance in the universe and there's many ways to see that. And there's this very famous uh, um, um, exercise or experiment that you can do I forgot the name. What's the name of that? You know that uh, what the musicians use metronome. in order to keep the metronome exactly. If you go and you Google or you go to YouTube and you look, you Google the metronome experiment, you will see that if you go and buy a certain number of metronomes and you actually have them not be in sync, but you leave them like going from one side to the other, right? All of them at the same pace, but the rhythm, but when they when you start them, you start them every one of them on a different on a different rhythm, right? Excuse me, on a different uh, side of the metronome. If you leave those metronomes all going by themselves long enough, they will synchronize by themselves. It's it's magic. It's just magic. For me, that is in itself. A, a proof that there's something out there that we don't see that is what I call the divine that puts everything to be in balance. And even even when we see that man-made things are really catastrophical or the nature makes us go through catastrophical moments, like, I mean, never in the history of humankind, all, every single person has known that there was According to some, you know, sources, there's there's a virus, and that the virus is, you know, provoking, uh, you know, a lot of uh, turmoil, and it's making people die, etc., etc., etc. So never in the history of humankind, every anybody, never, every single person in the world, had been informed of something that was going on through the mainstream media at the same time, right? So that's the first time that that has ever happened. The seven point what five six billion people in the world, all knowing the same thing happening. What I'm trying to say is that even if that's pretty dramatic, right? So everything at the same time in the world, 
knowing the same thing that is, I mean, according to some people, is happening. Some, according to some people, something else is happening. And I'm here just to respect everybody's opinion. Um, but this has happened for the same time. So that tells me that, you know, if we do a good job, if we do a good job, things can really happen and we can really change the world and the life in the world, the, our lives in the world for the good, not only for the bad, but for the good. And again, even if that doesn't look like it's, uh, it's imbalanced because that created a, a huge amount of fear over a virus, right? It's difficult to understand, but this is still part of the balance. balance. I, I strongly believe this. And actually, people that do not feel comfortable with, you know, the existence or non-existence of a virus, they, they feel uncomfortable, right? But the other day I was listening to a, someone that I really follow and I like a lot, and she's a spiritual leader. Her name is Judy, Judy Machado. And she was saying, hey, you know what? I'm not going to resist this any longer. But not to resist, meaning I'm not going to, going to put resistance against what is happening in the world and against what the mainstream media is telling me, regardless of the side. I think that I really wish this lasts for a long time because there are going to be unforeseen, unwanted consequences to having this kept in place for a long time. All those restrictions of time, restrictions of movement, right? Restrictions of where you can go, when you can go, the things that you have to do. She was saying very wisely, very smartly, she was saying, I wish that this continues to be on for a long time because the more and more and more people will have to go inside of them, will have to tap onto their divine, into their genius that has a divine origin and to really know who they are and really know and understand what's going on in the world, regardless of what they have been told. So this trip into being into in, introspection uh, that has that we started last year because of the confinement and the lockdowns, it's a blessing in disguise. Look, it's a big blessing in disguise, guys, for all humanity. Yeah, and like you say, it might not appear that way on the surface. But it, it, it is a definite wake-up call. And I know a lot of people have rethought their priorities, um, including like how much time they spend with family, for example. You know, I, that for me was a priority. And I went back to see my parents and, and lived with them for a bit when everything first hit. Um, so it's, it's definitely a time for reflection. And uh, as uncomfortable as it is, uh, it shows as well, I think, some great hope from it is scientists coming up with vaccines very quickly rolling them out and all that kind of stuff whether you know some people don't believe in it and everything but either way it shows that when people put their effort to it into something uh, all of humanity basically everybody who's affected by this then we can achieve great things exactly and myself last year i was i mean obviously i have a position i mean i have a position personal position i have a personal a family position and, and, and a relative's position. I mean, what I'm trying to say is that everybody around me has a different position on the same subject matter. But in reality, the most important thing that is happening right now is that everybody's going inside and asking, hey, have I really made my work? Have I done my research? Have I really tapped into the right sources to know exactly what's going on and why? Am I going to... And also, as you realize, Luke, is 
who are we why are we giving away our power our own power our own energy so easily why to others why are we doing this so right now even even when bad things happen and even even let's say worst of the worst right i mean maybe some relatives have died of uh, of, of the virus, let's say, why did that happen to me? Why? We tend to always, we, we, we attach meaning to questions and to things that happen around us. What if the meaning that we attach to things is wrong? I think that right now we are given, we are being given the opportunity to reassess, to reassess the meaning that we are giving to things that are happening around us. That's yeah. a great opportunity we have right now. I agree. And the power thing is very interesting. I don't know if you've listened to or seen any of Russell Brand's stuff, but he's very much into questioning power, uh, conspiracy theories, and various things like that. And he Who? interviewed... Who did you say? Russell, Russell Brand. He's a British... He was a comedian and other things, but he's also... A, he runs a podcast called Under the Skin... Uh, amongst other things and he's, he's a very very interesting person and he interviewed somebody who was within the uh, the american intelligence agency i forgot what their exact name is now um and basically the, he revealed and ousted five governments that were working together um the the the, the whole thing was called five eyes and i was just listening to this yesterday and it's basically the five, like five major nations. I think it's the UK, Canada, might be Australia, New Zealand, and America. Might have got that wrong. Uh, and they were basically all colluding to surveil on everybody. Um, and I think it all came initially from you know this whole terrorist thing, 9-11, everything like that, which is uh, obviously not a great thing to have happened. However, the reaction to it has also not been great in some uh, circumstances as well. Um, and so the intelligence agencies being behemoths in themselves, massive organizations have gone through this process of like, how can we find out more about people with the initial good aim of like stopping terrorism, but it had been extended to everything and everybody all the time. And that's just another example of like the power, the power thing is that like you got to question who has power, who you give it up to, um, uh, whatever your yeah, beliefs, like you say, on this whole COVID scenario, uh, you've got to be wary and seek out alternative s- sources of information and unconventional wisdom, like you say. I think that's very important. And this is part of the reason why I've got this podcast is to seek out different people with different stories. You know, what can you learn from everybody? Because I think everybody's got a story to tell. Uh, so, yeah, very interesting. And um I'd be interested to also, you mentioned spiritual and spirituality and spiritual experiences. Uh, and you were talking to me about a group that you, I think you meant you meet every day and you do a particular thing. Maybe you can talk a bit about that as well. Of course. Yeah. So there's actually a, it's actually a, a British lady, wonderful lady. Her name is Lynn McTaggart and she has the different books. And what, what she does is she's very well known because she does what she calls intention experiments. And, she organizes power of eight groups all over the world. So following, I mean, we read the book. So a group of people that we met at an, an event from a neuroscientist, we, we met there and we said, hey, why don't we start ourselves a power of eight group? So basically what we do is we meet every single morning. We've been meet, meeting right now for over three years. And we meet every single morning. And for 
we meet for 10, excuse me, no, we, we meet for half an hour, one hour, depending on how much time we have every, every day. But, uh, but we intend for 10 minutes, so we follow a specific practice, a spiritual practice. For 10 minutes, we intend for a specific item, right, or action item. So let's say we intend for something to happen, some reality to be created, someone to be healed, someone to reach home safely, whatever that is. But every single week, so that means that we have already intended for over 170 probably different reasons. Every single week we intend for a separate, and, and every single week it's one of us who, who decides what to intend for. So every single week we meet, every single day, excuse me, we meet and we intend for the same thing for seven days in a row. And on Saturdays, actually today, we're recording this on a Saturday, and on Saturdays we actually conduct a draw. So someone pulls a number out of a bag that has the remaining you know, members of the team, and that person gets to choose what that person wants to you know, intend for for the upcoming seven days. And we have had really incredible experiences. We have had really miracles happen up to the point, Luke, in which we are actually writing a book, and it's called... 10 minute miracles. It's called 10 minute miracles. Because in those 10 minutes for so many weeks, we have achieved so many things uh, that we have achieved so many things that we decided, hey, we have to put this out there for the people to read and for the people to know that just by being intentional, so many things can happen. And you asked me before, you know, a piece of advice, remember, to give a piece of advice to our audience. And, and this is this is definitely this this a spiritual practice that we have in place, our group, the Power of Eight group, our Power of Eight group, has taught us that being intentional about things in life is really important and can help us make miracles. Again, if we are intentional about what we do, and if we all spend in the morning, a few, some time, and even in the evening before going to bed, we spend some time just being intentional about what we want to do and accomplish, I think that our lives would be would be completely different. Instead of being distracted and being dragged, you know, being dragged literally from one side to the other, from one place to another, if we were intentional about what we want to do, the world would change dramatically. Yeah, I think there's potentially two aspects to that. One being sometimes what I've called what I've heard called manifestation, which is kind of what you're talking about, which is intentions setting and you know hoping i don't know if hoping is the right word it's definitely also not praying but it's in the same sort of vein you know you, you you're all i guess sending maybe you're sending love to somebody or something like that could you give some examples actually i think that'd be really interesting yeah i mean a few examples would be well number one actually the first experiment ever intention experiment we conducted the first ever was because one of the members of the team that was the first one. So it was after the event that we all, you know, gathered and, and met each other. We didn't know each other before that event. So the first intention experiment was because one of the members of the group, the other gentleman, we are seven, we're actually nine people, seven, seven ladies and two gentlemen. And the other gentleman of the group, he had had terrible back pain forever, like as, as far as he could remember. And I, I've never had the back pain, but the people that have back pain, it's like a migraine. It's, it's like really, really painful and really a nuisance. It's really get, it's difficult to get rid of it. Guess what? After one week of intending for him, he got rid of that 
back pain. He has not had back pain at all in the last three years and a half. <laughs> like that. Another one thing that we did was we wanted to attend an event. We wanted to attend an event of a very famous guy, like you know, what, what like the few guys that you just mentioned, like celebrities that organize conferences and events, live events, in hotels. So there was this event in Cancun, and we intended that. And, and at the point that we wanted, we said we we said the intention to go. Many of us didn't have the money, didn't have the time, really, literally. And the intention was, you know, that we were going to be in Cancun in June. Guess what? All of us, all of us ended up going to Cancun in June. It was just magic. It was just incredible. We all of us ended up going to Cancun in, in June. And in the beginning, it was really impossible. I mean, if you took into consideration all the objections from all the members of the team, no, no, I don't have the money, I don't have the time, I will be somewhere else because we are, you know, you're trying to have me go that to that place. I will, I will definitely be somewhere else. I will not be able to be there, you know. So it was, uh, so those are just two examples. We have intended for healing many other people. Uh, we have intended for, um, you know, for helping people who are having a difficult time, not, not health wise, but, you know, financially wise or other kind of things, uh, other kind of things. And again, that's why we call it 10 minute miracles because we have had so many amazing experiences. And also, let me tell you something. Those 10 minutes that we intend for, the, for those 10 minutes of time, these 10 minutes of time in itself, in itself uh, or in themselves, right? We have been, we have had experiences, like we would see things. We would experience things. We would see things that sometimes we st when we stop the 10 minutes, right, we, we time it, right, because actually we, we, we try to put some music, not to guide the meditation or the intention, just to have some spiritual music that's going to make it easier for us to reach a higher level of consciousness. Sometimes when we hang up, let's say when we stop, no, not hang up, but when we stop the, the, the intention, we have to say, wow, did you see that? Or I experienced that, or I saw that, or I felt that, or... I saw all of us doing this. So we have had plenty of this. Plenty. Plenty. Like plenty. So that was that was really good. It sounds intriguing and uh, it's great that you've had great results with it as well. Um, I, what's the process like? Is there a process? Do you, do you basically just sit there individually and think about what it is that you're intending? Is there, a, is there a format? I know there's 10 minutes. So is, is there anything else you could share about that? Yes, you can go obviously to Lynn McTaggart's website and she has a whole bunch of documents, excuse me, of documents where she explains it. But basically, number one is very, very, very be, excuse me, be very clear with the intention. The more down to earth the intention is, the better. Okay, that's the number one thing. Number two is you have to actually visualize, when you close your eyes, you have to actually visualize that there is, you know, your heart and their heart, the heart of the person that you're trying to help, and the heart of everybody else in the experiment. They are all together. You're, you, you, we are actually visualizing when we have our, close, our eyes closed. We are visualizing how we're have, having our first, taking our intention, taking our awareness to our heart, 
and from our heart to actually send really a, like a like a stream of light to the hearts of the other people that are we're intending for or the people that are in the intention experiment okay and when we do that and we see all of us from our hearts a visualization right visualization experiment or practice when we are seeing that then we start to see that person on the place where we would like her to see so if if, if it's someone that i don't know lost her sight just to put it into extreme which is not the case but let's we would see that person seeing we would see that person reacting to light we would see that person doing things that only people that see can see we we visualize that okay and 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 actually we follow the exact same process that lynn mctaggart uses to have multi thousands of people to intend at the same time i mean her main practice of Lynn McTaggart, and she's very well known for conducting, you know, worldwide experiments in which people get to meet at the same time, the same series of days, at the same to intend for a particular place in the world to lower the level of violence. And she has metrics. So she has, she's able to, to she does that only in places where she can get data of, you know, where of what, how do you measure violence, right? The people that are being killed or the people that are being wounded, whatever that is, or the number of uh, struggles or the number of fights or the number of, you know, whatever that is. So she conducts those, those experiments in places where, where she can measure the data and then she compares the data before and after the intention experiment. So she gets the data and she gets to compare the data before the experiment and the data after the experiment or during the experiment. So it it's it's basically it goes like that, and and it's 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 powerful. Again, it's a matter of what are what are you paying attention to, you know? What are you paying attention to during your day? Just do that. Just just think about this. Are you where where are you giving paying attention to some thing or some person, some place, is sending energy. It's sending energy. It's just, it's just, it's just what it is. That's why paying attention to the news and you don't like the news and the news make you be fearful. You're giving away your energy to something which is not even yours. Why are you consistently giving your power away to things that you don't believe in? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, there's a lot of unexplained things about, and I, I can't explain what you're talking about. Uh, I've got spiritual friends and and people that can't fully explain it all. I mean, you've got physicists looking at the distribution of energy, mass, and so on. I mean, how much of the universe is unexplainable? Um, yeah, you've got gravity. You've got all of these things that are governed by physical laws that we understand as far as we do know at the moment. But what we don't know is where everything else is. That gravitational laws only work if there's this extra energy. There's the dark energy, dark matter, all these things. And that's about the limit of my knowledge of it. Is is a huge percentage of the universe is not observable. So what is it? And nobody knows. And and so it's pretty hard to say that this stuff is or isn't real. And um, and another viewpoint to this as well. So there's intention setting. There's energy and all this. All these things we're talking about. I think another perspective is there's a there's a thing called the reticular reticulated activating system and this is in your mind it basically pays it's like a filter 
what comes into your mind. Obviously, we have millions of bits of information coming into our brain at any time, and only a certain number of those actually go into our conscious mind. And it's, it's those filters, beliefs, and everything else that actually allows the right things, let's say the right things, if we want it, if we choose wisely, the things to come into our mind. So what is what is that? Is, go on. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something. Oh, like oh, no, oh no, no, thank you, thank you. you know, I was going to say, again, you know, we have to be, we have an audience obviously listening to this, and I mean, very often we tend to think that, you know, obviously we see the, we see the world, we see the world with our eyes. So since that very moment, as, as, as quantum physicists say, we see our own world, and you see your own world. So not everybody is open and willing to let's go, let to go to a, an uncomfortable place, an uncomfortable zone, and try to go for unconventional knowledge. You know, so we have to be respectful also for the people that just want to live in the status quo and want to be living in the place where their current reality is enough and they feel comfortable and it's okay, and that's fine. You know, because again, you're doing this look because you want to help people. You want to create your own, you know, brand and you want to really help people. That's why you bring diverse people to your podcast and you want to have diverse conversations to help people from different avenues. Right. Um, so and, and it's it's good. But for the other the other people that they would like to know more and they would like to know the answers to the questions that you just said or, or to answers to many other questions. Just keep on looking. And I think that libraries right now are much more, you know, really libraries are much more important than, than, than 14, 16 months ago. I think that the knowledge that has been printed on a book is extremely important. And it's much more important than before. Because, you know, you and I can right now go create a website and we can put anything on the website. And if we, if we are very good in search engine optimization, we can have thousands or hundreds of thousands of millions of people go and... Uh, you know, and 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 go to our our website, and nobody will have checked if the knowledge in that website is truthful or not, right? That's why the effort made behind writing a book, I think it's it's more genuine than than the how to have to phrase this how, than the temporary or temporarily or temporariness of the knowledge that is online. So, and, and also another, another, you know, reflection I would like to make aloud for people listening to us is that, are you aware that all the books that you read and you studied from when you went through a, any kind of formal education, starting in kindergarten, pre-kindergarten, uh, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, you name it, you know, college, university, do you know that all those books have been written by the winners of the wars that are being described in there? What I'm trying to say is that have you ever read a textbook in which there are more than one version of the same? No. So again, I would like to be a little bit, you know, uh, a little bit what controversial and ask people to think deeply inside themselves how much how many of the things that they studied throughout their lives are truthful and how much they are not and and, and history is a very is a great example history is only is only written by the winners by the ones that beat someone else 
if the histories were written by the losers, we would probably have a completely different story, right? And then, I mean, obviously, when you don't fit in, uh, you are being called insane and awkward and weird and, you know, crazy and all that kind of things. But in reality, I think that if you see the world and the smartphones is a good example, we're being distracted by our cell phones and our smartphones continuously, continuously. And if you have, like myself, for instance, I have an online business. So for me, what's happening in social media is important, right? As many other people, right? As many other people. But in reality, I know it's a distraction. So I'm trying to limit myself. And actually, I have an app that they use to limit myself from using my social media outlets on my phone. And also that same app helps me stay less on my phone because I know, I know that, you know, from an objective perspective or point of view, it's not good to be distracted. So again, if you realize that you are more and more and more and more distracted, just think the other way around. How, why am I being distracted? Is it really what I want for my life to be continuously distracted? And then start again, as, as you can as you can say, as you can tell, I am a pretty unconventional knowledge seeker myself. Yeah. And you reminded me of school and history because uh, what you said is completely right. And even our school curriculums, for me, learning history at school is British history. The vast majority I learn about is British history because I'm from the UK. Um, and you hear about the war, Second World War, and you just have that particular viewpoint on it. And you might have the conventional wisdom and, you know, fairly widely accepted wisdom that, you know, Adolf Hitler was a bad person, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there is a lot of stories like that where it's probably more nuanced. And I'm not saying Hitler wasn't a bad person, um, but there are lots of things where you just hear one side of it and you do need to be a bit more careful. Uh, going back to the app and being less distracted, just uh, to give people a bit of a tool or whatever. Do, do you know what the, the, the name of the app is that you use? The name of what, excuse me? The, the name of the application on your phone that helps you be less distracted. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Moment, moment. Moment, uh, okay. Yes, Thank moment, M-O-M-E-N-T, moment. Thank you very much. And I, I, learned from, I learned from that because of watching a movie which is called The Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma, everybody should watch this movie. Social Dilemma. The Social Dilemma is a movie, it's, a, it's actually a documentary written by former C-level executives of the most important social media outlet companies in the world in which they tell, they teach, they tell, they tell you how they were, while they were in those companies, they were trying to distract you, they were trying to actually make you think, make, make you do things, how they were manipulating you. That's why I'm saying everybody should watch that movie, The Social Dilemma. If you want to know how you're being manipulated, go watch that movie and then download that app, Moment, M-O-M-E-N-T. Very easy, very easy. I mean, it's a very easy, simple app, but very, very useful. Thanks for that. Yeah, there's lots of those kinds of apps around as well. And uh, I've seen The Social Dilemma and I'm very focused on not being distracted as part of uh, my other business as well mindful productivity which is about removing distractions and being productive um for the for the for the 
purpose of being productive, but it's also good for your your well-being because if you're always being scattered around, you've got too many things in your brain and so on. Um, yeah, social network, I mean, basically all data that's being mined from everything that you use, your phone continuously, all those things, then feeds into them taking your attention and what we now live in, the biggest companies uh, basically are taking our attention and converting it into money by influencing us or manipulating us. It depends which way you look at it. Uh, is it for our own good? Maybe not. Uh, it's probably not helping our mental health. You know, if the incentives were different, you know, if they're incentivized by doing moral good instead of money, um, then there could be different outcomes for these companies. But instead, they make lots of money and, and probably provide negative social goodness overall. But, you know, that's my opinion on that factor. <laughs> I, I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. It's that, you know, as, as usual, the thing is, very often we, we ask the wrong questions to ourselves. And the thing is, you know, what do we want to do ourselves with our lives? Where do we want our attention to be right now? If, 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 let's say if you had someone, if you had someone, in, let's say, that would go with you for one week, going with you, like shadowing you, look, shadowing you, and then he would write a report of what that person saw about you, would you like the report, yes or no? Do you think the report would tell you what you want to hear, yes or no? Do you think the report would tell you uh, or would show you that you're really using your time wisely uh, in alignment with the, your, your, your life goals or your company goals? Wouldn't that be a very powerful experiment to do? Wow. I, I definitely think I, I, I definitely think it is a great, it is a very powerful experiment. And people don't do it because they are afraid. They are mm. afraid. They don't want to be put in front of a, of, a, of a mirror. When you put yourself in front of a mirror, not everybody feels comfortable. And if it's more, you know, if it's more than maybe putting some gel in the morning or combing, you know, combing your hair or maybe looking at some, you know, pimples or spots or that's it, right? But there's a lot of people that can can look at themselves in the mirror. Imagine if someone was looking at you and analyzing your everything, like everything in your life. That would be amazing. Yeah, and I'm sure that the technology is there. If if they can sell to you as effectively as they can now, then there must be a way that they could track your... Over I mean, they can track what apps you're using on your phone. I know Microsoft tracks on Outlook and everything, all of their apps how much time you're collaborating, how much time you're working on things, uh, how much quiet time you've used. The information is there. Um, maybe I just need to look deeper and find the application that does this for us because, yeah, like I think this would do great social good for us all to be doing something like that. Absolutely. It would be life-changing, I tell you. It would be life-changing because we see, we see the world with the shape or shaped with our own cookie cutter. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to shift gears slightly. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about spirituality, which is interesting to me, and I definitely don't understand enough. Um, and so I wanted to go to what you've written on your website as a defining moment in your life. So in 2001, you were reading, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this exactly, but the Celestine or Celestine Prophecy, and that had a profound impact on you. Could you tell us a bit more about that? 
Yes. So, um, so basically, someone in the UK gave me that book as a you know to read it, and I um, I I'm just remembering that moment right now. That's why I stopped, and it was really like very um, eye-opening because he was talking about you know the in-depth. Um, um, meaning of, of reality and actually he was talking about the series of scrolls that have been found in the Peruvian, in the Amazonian Peruvian forest and, and the book, the main message of the book is that you know everything is energy and there's lots of things going on around us that we don't see but they happen. So I think that that book really made me change not only the way I think I see things but also uh, it made me move from the UK to Latin America to live. So it was a pretty it was pretty, pretty life changing. So it was really, really like very, very interesting. The way I, I was able to open my eyes, open my mind to a completely different way to see the world and how that story, which is, it, it's a fiction book. So it's a very nice story. And you move, you know, from one thing to another, one thing to another. And there's a trepid, you know, uh, uh, main character that lots of things happen to, to her and she's, she's she, she she's almost being kidnapped and again the story is really one of those books that you cannot put down so this is exactly what happens with her and that book the celestine prophecy i would recommend that book it's it's the author is uh james redfield so what was it about the book that sort of had that profound impact on you um because it it shifted so much. Yeah, the, it? It, it was a way. Yeah, it was a way. It was a way to see the world. It, it was completely different. The way the way that they, she was describing the world is, and the things happen around you. Uh, again, most of us never think about why. Why are we living the world that we are living? Why are those things happening to us? Why? So that book gives you the answer. That gives that book gives you an, a completely different perspective on how to answer that question. It's and that's why it, it impacted me so much. And I remember that when I finished reading the last page of the book, I decided, wow, I, I felt that super amazing rush of energy through my, through, my, through my body. I can only compare it like to having, you know, chills, big time chills, right? Uh, or goosebumps. Um, and I said, I have to do something with my life. I mean, it's just, you don't know why, but you know that you have to do something. And I, I, I did it. And I was, you know, at that time I was free. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't have any ties to anybody, and I, I've always felt myself that I could live in anywhere, anywhere in the in the universe, you know, and that that's one of the reasons why I exist, to just to go from, just to learn from many different people and places in the world or in the universe, and I decided to move all my life, and it was like a 180 degree change, uh, and it was it was amazing. I mean, I I had so much fun in 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 again in, in when I moved to Mexico from the UK. And I, it was really again. I I'm 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 fearless. Uh, look, I really can do anything and can can really move to any any place because I, I really feel extremely not only lucky but also very very powerful. I really can get along with going and and and, and changing my environment dramatically and still be thriving. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Again, it's, it's sort of one of those things when you do it more, you get better at it. You've moved quite a few times and you, you've got better, I'd imagine, each time. 
when you go to a new place, have you ever been somewhere where you don't know anybody and what's your way of getting out there and meeting people and getting integrated in the community and things like that? Because I, I find that personally quite challenging to get out and just meet different people. And I do, I do use meetup and things like that, but it's, it's hard. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I always put, uh, put I said before, I mean, it's not always easy, right? I mean, well, it's not always comfortable. Easy it is, but it's not always comfortable. But it is easy. I put, I put, my, I put my smile on, really, and I, you know, and I go through that, to that person. I say, hey, my name, is, my name is Angel, and, you know, I came here because of a friend of mine told me that that would be a very nice place to see one. What about you? And then it's, it's, it's a conversation started, right? It's, a, it's an icebreaker. And that's it. And, and, and I, I am very, as you see, you know, I'm very uh, gestural and I make and my, my face expresses a lot. Right. So I think that also that helps me a lot. It helps me because I cannot hide my passion. I cannot hide who I am. I am who I am. Wherever I go, whenever I go, whatever I am, you know, regardless, it doesn't matter who you are, if it's Luke or if it's, you know, Jennifer or if it's Madison, it doesn't matter. I will be always in front of all being myself, being fully present. And then, you know, just take it from there. And maybe someone else joins us or we start a conversation and it's a very interesting conversation. And I've established very deep conversations for, with people that I just met once in, a, in an event that was not organized by me, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, and also, you also know when to leave, you know, sometimes you know, I, I like to, for instance, for networking events, face-to-face -face networking events around, and there's always some, some drinks, for instance. It's funny how I really like to, to, I really like to have the conversations in the beginning of the meeting before people start drinking. Because in the, in the, in the last part of the meeting or in the second half of the meeting, it's more difficult to have meaningful conversations and meaningful connections with people. And even if people give you their card, they might not even remember <laughs> and again, it might it might sound a little bit silly, but it's true. I I, I rarely stay until the end of these networking events, unless I have had a very deep connection with 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 some of the people in the meeting, because uh, it it the reality the reality is that some people tend to lose their let's say their awareness of themselves or or maybe they're not themselves, right? I mean. Um, it's like, as you know, I mean, alcohol is, is not the, it's not necessarily something that puts you in the, in the best you shape kind of thing, you know, and I, I obviously, if I'm about to have a conversation, a genuine conversation, I want to have a really, I really want to know who that person is genuinely. And you ask me, you know, why, why am I good at what I do? And one of the reasons the thing is, is because is or. Oh, why, why am I good at networking or having relationships or, or setting up relationships with people is because I think that I think that we have this um, or I have this genuine interest for the other person and I know how to listen. I know how to listen and to how to genuinely how to genuinely listen to the other person and, and, and that might create what you said before might create that feeling that they feel well with me, you know, it, it can be that that may be one of the reasons. Look. Yeah, I appreciate that. And like you say, it sounds extremely simple, 
and it is in theory easy but it can be uncomfortable so yeah for sure and and your life has seemed to you've, you've been to Latin America you've worked there and then you went to America um, and and since as well you've also set up the the charity that you, you now run as well uh, wisdom for kids and so maybe you could tell me a bit about how that started and what was the impetus behind starting that yeah when I was in Latin America working and I was traveling literally all over the place all over the all the countries including Caribbean I was I was all the time meeting with the super powerful people the people the people I was serving with the companies I was working with and at the same time there was this massive contrast contrast excuse me with all the all the kids that would be outside those manufacturing plants or places where I would go the kids in Latin America are very very often are helping their parents and they're offering you, hey, would you buy this from me? Would you buy some gum? Would you buy a bottle, of, a bottle of water? Would you, like, can we wash your car while you are inside meeting that person, whatever that was? So I was always lo- meeting this. I was always meeting both the super powerful and the most underprivileged people. In Latin America, there's 81 million kids in Latin America that live in poverty. 81, 81, right? So I forgot what's the population of the UK, but... Um, I don't know. It, it's it's 81 million Similar. people right now. I don't. So imagine the entire, you know, United Kingdom, entire United Kingdom, full of underprivileged kids. Just to give you an example, right? So I, I was seeing poverty so much and so often that I said, okay. So one day I had another spiritual experience, which, which all those images of the kids in need. All those came to me and, and, and all these, you know, super powerful people I had helped for so many years. And the question that came inside of me was, if not me, who? If not me, who? Who, who can help those kids and the privileged kids? If it's not me, who's going to help them the way I can help them? Connecting the unconnected, connecting those kids with the super powerful people in Latin America. And that was the starting point. And then I reached out to a, to a former uh, business partner of mine in Mexico and also very good personal friend. Uh, and I asked him, hey, would you would you come to join me on that on this journey? And he said, yes, absolutely. And then he brought he brought in his father, who had who had been a very successful professor in a very well known uh, university in Mexico City. And then we all three created Wisdom for Kids. And the main goal, the main reason why we exist is because we want to help underprivileged kids in Latin America become entrepreneurs using their local resources. That's very important, using the local resources, because we have to be extremely respectful with the culture and the reality of what's happening in every single place that we go to. Yeah, fantastic. So you say respectful of the culture and using local resources. The thing that jumped into my mind that that's similar to is charity and aid and things like that. There was a, or there's still aid given to countries where it is used in a way that it's like you give they don't have bread you give them bread that kind of thing but what is more sustainable which is sounds like what you're doing as well is to teach them how to fish don't just give them a fish teach them how to fish and you say you're using their local resources and as well um what are the sort of cultural things that you do have to consider over there and be mindful of um just for my education really because i'm not really too familiar I mean, starting by or starting from the way you connect with this community, right? I mean, you have to be extremely respectful. Every single person conducts themselves differently. 
let me tell you an example that could have that actually we did not foresee that and that could have been that could have been an issue uh, and uh, so one of the communities that we went to was an indigenous community and, and that community um, I mean in, in, all the communities we get we go physically there after we have already you know conducted several conversations meetings potentially like over video conference if possible it's not possible because the communities are very poor we just go with what we have but we we once arrived at the you know location for our you know our workshop the first the first in the in that place the first ever in that place and uh, and um, besides the community leader and the kids some of the parents had come and and instead of leaving the kids there they stayed which is typically not the case typically they know because we explain them what we're going to do we're going to do this and we're going to play with the kid we're going to sing dance jump blah 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 and the kids the, i mean the parents typically don't don't stay but this day the parents stayed and they were parents that worked in the fields right i think it was coffee fields and they had their machetes with them so they were they made sure that we saw their machetes you know and obviously because they had never i mean they didn't know what their kids were going to go through after 10 minutes i think it was or maybe less definitely less than 15 minutes every every single parent left because they saw that what we were doing there was playing with the kids and right um and that's one of the things. So we have to be extremely flexible and being able to change things as they go. And we have to be cautious and we have to be respectful of maybe the way to greet someone is different. Maybe the way to address something, maybe the way to organize an event, the way to organize a workshop is different. Maybe the time that we use for that workshop has to be different. Um, and we have to also allow ourselves to receive because also something that happens very often, as they know we're going there and we pay ourselves our bills, right? Very often in those communities, they offer us things. They offer us drinks, water, excuse me, drinks, uh, food, mm, gifts, anything. And we have to accept them, even though we don't like them. And I can tell you many different times in which I had to eat things that I didn't know what I was eating. Not a clue. Like not a clue, and they would give me the name, and I would say what, and I was I, I was I was I was embarrassed or ashamed of asking for the name again, because they had already given me the name three times, and I didn't understand what it was. I, I had no idea if that was a fruit, or that was an animal, or that was a, a broth, or that was a you know, that happens very often. And part of the cultural awareness of going to that place is to accept everything that they're going to offer to you. Because obviously you want to you want to accept this gesture of wealth and abundance and you want to allow that abundance to keep on flowing because you want to be there. You want to give those kids of that community, you want to give back to that community, but you also have to be open to accept what they give you. Again, those are two funny stories, the machetes and the food that you eat, but that happens all the time, all the time where we go. And needless to say, we are very cautious because we know that there's a lot of children trafficking going on in the world that we don't know of, we're really not aware of. You have to go to to the bodies that study this and they, they when, when, but we don't want to really learn. We don't want to want, know how many, how many hundreds of thousands of kids get kidnapped every single year 
for human trafficking. We, we just don't know. But we are very, 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 very cautious about who do we share our information with. Very cautious. Yeah. Very, very cautious. To the point that if you ask me for a name of any of the kids we've helped, I would not be able to tell you. As far as the local volunteers know their names and know where to find them, we are fine. We don't want to keep any any registry, any records, anything, any spreadsheet, nothing with the kids. We don't. We just want to be present and help them in their journey or on their journey. But we don't keep anything that we we could be or could be used to, like, you know, uh, locate those kids or identify those kids in any way, sort or form. We're very, very cautious. All those things are part of the culture that we, we try to respect very thoroughly. I think that's a very considerate thing to do. Um, yeah, you don't always think of those things as an outsider as well. So I, th- I think that's really good. And how do you then figure out who you can trust? Well, I mean, it's an ongoing thing, you know. It's 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 by proving it. It's it's by testing it. It's by going there. It's by meeting these people face to face. It has never happened to us that someone that committed to do something hasn't done it. So I guess that and that refers to another another spiritual principle. I think that the kind of energy we are putting out, out there is the right one, because people trust us and we trust people. I mean, we have not had a single incident besides those parents showing up with their machetes. Uh, uh, you know, but besides that, we have never had any experience, like unfortunate experience, of any, of any, you know, sort. So I guess we're doing the right thing the right way. Look. Yeah, I think so, Angel. Well, that's that's really great, and uh, commend you for your efforts there. And thank you. So I'm just mindful of your time, so we will start to to wrap up soon. Um, and we've talked a little bit about Divine Human Ventures and you're uh, also known as the CEO Confidant as well. Um, how did you get to, I mean, you've had lots of sales jobs and, and other you know jobs leading through your life and so on, gained lots of good experience. Um, and I know your mission is to influence uh, and impact the CEOs because you know they have big impact on the world as well. Um, how's that journey been for you and where did it all start? Yeah, my, my CEO confident journey started really in the UK when I was when I chose that job as an inside salesperson southwest of London. It definitely started there. And uh, little by little, I mean, I think that the, I mean, my life put me has put me where I am today. So did I choose that that route? I mean, I, I guess I did, but I was not, I mean, if you had told me in 20 years, 25 years, whatever, you are going to be calling yourself a CEO confident because you would have helped 1,500 CEOs, not a chance, not a chance. So I think it was the kind of, the kind of challenges that I accepted. I think it was the fact that I was doing a lot of, you know, cold calling, the fact that I was calling to a lot of different countries to, you know, to get appointments for the field sales reps, right? Um, I was calling to a lot of countries that I didn't speak the, the language of, so I had to make an additional effort to communicate with these people. The fact that I was um, selling high premium offers 
high premium products and services. So that they were really like expensive. So that forced me to reach out to CEOs consistently in order to have the right signing power to close those deals, to, to raise the POs for those companies. So all those things, if you, if you see, if you analyze it, all those things that I've exposed myself to doing, and I was open to do it, eventually when you do that massively, again, massive action, like, like Tony Robbins says, massive, massive action, immersion, doing something consistently for many years, you eventually learn how to do it, and you do it consistently. You do it consistently. You do it over and over and over and over again. And that's why when I left corporate America and I started to count my blessings, I said, wow, this is really what I have done throughout my career. Wow, that's amazing. So let's put that into work. And, you know, I, I Googled the name and, and also I went to the trademark and brand registry and everything. And I saw that nobody had used it. So I went ahead and I protected it and, and everything. And again, it makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's the CEO confident because I have held so many people in it. At the end of the day, look, when you establish a good relationship with the CEO, it's not only about the money and about the business. It's also about the person. It's also about the person. And when you genuinely care about someone, eventually you become their confidant. Yeah, that, that does imply that they trust in you and will share things with you that they wouldn't trust with everybody else. And again, it's that relationship building that you've mentioned before. Um, we've talked about so much interesting stuff so far. Uh, what would be really interesting to do if, if you're open to it as well is just to understand a bit more, um, looking at your CV you know, and looking at everything you've done, it's, it almost seems that things have been easy, but I know there's not, not everything in everybody's life is super easy. Um, and sometimes you go through difficult times and you bounce back and learn a lot from it as well. Can you think of any times uh, where you, you've had a difficulty, a uh, particularly challenging one that looking back now, you know, you're quite grateful for, that you've learned a lot from? Well, there's many things that come to my mind. I mean, I think that, that we, we all of us can go through our lives and actually acknowledge or identify the moments in which we were suffering. Um, probably one of the first times in my life, I mean, one of the first memories in my life, interestingly enough, now that I think about it, the first memory I have from my life is when I had when I was vaccinated when I was a kid. I remember being, honestly, I remember being probably, I don't know, maybe months of age. I remember vividly the room, the table. It was a big, massive, like, iron, uh, um, stainless steel iron table where I was put onto and then someone came and, and, and injected me a vaccine when I was a kid. Then after that, I probably remember when I went to the, my first summer camp ever. That was the first time ever I was like separated from my parents more than more than one day, I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, I never did a sleepover ever, not once, ever. So I think that was, I mean, I remember when my parents came in the middle of my summer camp to see me. I remember crying like a baby when they left, literally. And I was already in what, probably middle school, but still. That's who I was. That's why that's why I was so shy, probably. Um, so that was another moment. Another moment always really was in the, in in, 90, in the nineties when I married my uh, you know college uh, or or university um, um, sweetheart. Uh, and when and, and when things collapsed after only six months of marriage, 
and and that was probably the, the the most traumatic traumatic moment in my life where everything collapsed our life was perfect my life was perfect but unfortunately i couldn't i i i, I couldn't understand why those things were happening but i i made the wise decision to move on out of my, that marriage and again i, I got married in it was October 1996, and it was already separated, split at uh, or in two, in uh, March 1997, and I was divorced already in September. In September, I think, or July, July, no, June, June or July was already. So everything was so fast. I mean, but but that was really difficult. Um, uh, obviously, what did I learn? from those different situations. From the first one, it's difficult to know. Maybe maybe I remember the memory about the vaccine because someone wanted me to remember a few years later, like today, what vaccines are, right? Um, but leaving this aside, I think that the main lesson I've learned from all the different um, traumas or difficult situations and places, situations in my life where I was really down and feeling sad and and, 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 and even 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 crying, everything happens for a reason, but it's very difficult to see the reason when it's happening. Everything, everything, absolutely everything happens for a reason. This divine is really taking care of the balance. I would have never met you, Luke, had I not moved to America and then doing what I do today. You know, and and I would have never. I mean, unless I had had I had to go through that divorce, I would have never had an international career would have never left Spain, probably. I would have never had so much fun. I mean, look, I have had a, such a wonderful life with so much fun, like so much fun. I mean, if you ask me what, what I mean, fun lives, fun moments in my life, I and mean, there's so many. I have had so much, so many moments of life, of, of, of fun. And as you know, for instance, one continuous moment of, of fun is music. As you know, I love electronic music and I love also classical music, and I put the both. It sounds counterintuitive, right? This guy loves both both kinds of music. I love both kinds of music, and depending on the moment, I put one or the other, and I I really have fun. I I totally change my state. As again, as as Mr. Tony Robbins would say, I totally change my state through music, and I love driving my convertible car and having my music, you know, as loud as I can, and that is like blissful i cannot describe it in any other way that's blissful blissful and again i have had any other you know difficult moments in life you know and i have had different difficult moments with my with my employers you know at some time that they were challenging for me i remember one time in my professional career i really had a very bad experience i was i was taken away the possibility to really hit my numbers so my management decided, for a series of reasons, to took away to take away from me the main source of my commissions. And it's funny how my reaction was actually, I was able to accomplish so much that year that that was my most successful year ever in corporate America. So in January the year started really bad with this unfortunate situation with my employer, but at the end of the year I was one of the top performers, and not only one of the top performers, actually I got. A worldwide award, a worldwide award, and I actually went to the Caribbean to a super fancy, the most fancy vacation I've ever had. 
with my life, with my wife. Thanks to that. Do you see this? I mean, the most incredible fearful moment in my career was also in, in, in corporate America, was also the one that eventually became my most successful because I was I was obliged to overperform and outperform myself. And 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 it's 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 crazy because then my right my employer could not do anything to avoid it. You know what I mean? So because it was so obvious, my success had been so obvious that the only thing they could do is to reward me for my performance. So that's why, you know, when people say that everything happens for a reason, it's really, it's totally true. And actually we'll learn and there's lessons that are to be learned from the mistakes we make and the failures we have. Very well said, Angel. And uh, final thing then, just before we wrap up, is there any message or request that you have of the audience? Anything, any parting wisdom, anything like that? Yeah, well, obviously I would like to maybe maybe just to offer my time to the people out there if they would like to continue the conversation with me uh, i promise you that it's not going to be any sort of sales pitch at all it's going to be like a very conversational you know time together like for 15 minutes or five minutes or 30 minutes as you wish i offer you my time because i would like to know you i think that there's a reason why you were in this call today and that's why i'm doing it um that's and the way to reach out to me is sending me an email uh, angel at angelrebo.com angel as in heaven right A-N-G-E-L mm -hmm. at angelrebo my last name Rebo is spelled like R-I-B as in boy O angelrebo.com so again angel at angelrebo.com so that's what I would like to offer everybody in the audience they would like to have a conversation with me again without any agenda any plan anything you would like to do that just send me an email and uh, the second thing is I would like to remind everybody that they are really infinitely powerful I would like to do that. I would like to remind everybody listening to us today, to this long conversation we've had, that, you know, I'm just, it's just my life, you know, but I'm sure that you have had your ins and outs, as you see me, your ups and downs in your life. And I would like to remind you, because I see that with my clients every single day, that you are infinitely powerful, infinitely powerful, that you can achieve so much more in your life if, if that's what you want to do. And you can really do so much more and you can help so many people out there that are just waiting to be helped by you. And you are the only one that can help them. You are the only one that can help them. When sometimes people ask me, hey, I have to compete against this one or I have to compete, compete against this other one. Person, entrepreneur, company, doesn't matter who. I always tell them, don't worry too much about that. If you are unique enough, everybody will be looking for you because not everybody resonates with everybody. You know, there's consultants or coaches like me that, that uh, some part of the audience resonates with and, and some other people will never resonate with me for whatever reason. And I'm fine with it. You know, so that's the reminder I would like to send to everybody. Uh, look, make sure that, you know, you know that you are infinitely powerful, that you can serve millions of people literally out there. They are just waiting for you to be served. Thank you for that. And you can also find Angel's uh, other projects as well at wisdomforkids.today divinehumanventures.com and you just mentioned angel at angelrebo.com as well so yeah absolutely well, thank you very much for your time today it's been really deep conversation i've had tingles at points as well so really grateful for your time and uh, wish you all the best with all of your future endeavors as well absolutely 
It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, look, really, thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone who's listening to us today. Thank you for your patience to reaching out the final of the conversation. I hope it was a good use of your time. And again, you know where to find me. Thank you. Thanks, Angel. Thank you for listening to Tipping Points. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, subscribe, like, and give us a five-star review on your favorite podcast player. Doing this really helps us to keep providing free content to you. If you want to find out more, get more episodes and exclusive content, please head over to tippingpointspodcast.com. If you found today's conversation valuable, imagine how much value you and your team could get from structured productivity training designed by me. We have free interactive half-day workshops on how to maximize output without working harder, how to understand the needs of others, and how to get into flow state. And stay there. With over 100 delegates and an average review score of over 4.7 stars, you're guaranteed to take away actionable insights and tools and have fun in the process. All our courses are practical, logical, and grounded in science. Whether you're in a small or a large business, we've got the tools to take it to the next level. Find out more at mindfulproductivity.net forward slash courses. That's mindfulproductivity.net forward slash courses.